Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, November 7th edition of the Basement Academy. Today's Election Day. By the end of the day or, you know, tomorrow morning or midday, we'll know the outcomes of all the various elections that we're participating in. And we'll be tempted, some of us, perhaps, to forget what we have here in our scriptures, that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God has plans and purposes. And elections lead us sometimes to a, a bit of a temporary spiritual amnesia. And when things don't tumble out all the way we want, we forget that God's still God and he's still sovereign. So let me encourage you to vote if you haven't already. And let me encourage you above all things to trust in God who is sovereign over all the affairs of men. Okay, our morning psalm, I want to read Psalm 67, just a sweet psalm of blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God, may all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Psalm 67, not that hard to memorize. Let me encourage you to to do so. <clears throat> okay, yesterday introduced the first part of um, chapter three of Peterson's book, The Last Word on Christ. John has this vision, chapter one, of one like a son of man with the robe and the sash and the hair and the head and uh, the, 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 the blazing eyes, the, the, the face that shines the sword that comes out of the mouth, the right hand that holds the seven stars, etc., etc. So a majestic Christ. <clears throat> but we have also woven in this little passage language of seven lampstands and seven stars. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. That's verse 10. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And then in verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And then in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Angel is also a messenger there's a footnote here to help us know that. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, we've already met or been introduced to these seven churches where the voice tells John, write what you see and send it into these seven particular churches that we're going to read the letters, seven letters in the next two chapters, chapters two and three. And so... The seven lampstands and the seven stars, these are churches. The lampstands, 
and think menorah, right? So the golden lampstand that has the seven flames on it. So that's, that's what a lampstand would be. That symbolizes the light and presence of God, okay? So, you know, we have two candles uh, at Greenwich, and uh, there are different people who light the candles, but a lot of times I end up doing it before folks have come in. Uh, some churches make a, a significant um, uh, expression of that, uh, you know, parading in the candle, um, sometimes having a young child or an acolyte to light the, um, the candles. We do it a little more humbly at Greenwich, but just as I did on Sunday, I, I'm uttering a little prayer, Lord, walk among this lampstand, be among this church. May the light of, of Christ shine here. And I think even mentioned it on Sunday, one of the children at the children's uh, time talked about when does, when does the light go out? And I said, well, we turn the lamp, we, we, we blow the candles out at the end of church. But, but the light is always shining. This light is the light of Jesus, okay? And so it symbolizes the light and presence of God. So Christ amongst the lampstands. So there's seven lampstands representing the seven churches. And so it represents the presence of Jesus Christ, the light of Jesus Christ, the light of God that is present to uh, the churches. May your face shine upon us, right? So Psalm 67. And then the seven angels or messengers, I think speaks of the protecting message that is present in each of these churches. Not only is Christ present, but that message which protects, that message which saves, that message which delivers because we think of angels as messengers, but also as mighty warriors who deliver, right? And so the seven lampstands and the seven churches. And so I think the number seven, so we talked about symbols last week, the number seven is significant. It's, it's, it's the holy number, seven days of creation. And so we have seven particular churches, named churches with geographies associated with them. Every church, the, the, the church of God shows up in particular places. And so that's some technical language. We talk about Greenwich as a particular church. And then we talk about the global church, the big C, capital C church. And so the number seven speaks to these particular churches and they are named for us. But seven is that whole and holy number that speaks of the fullness and the wholeness. So God rested on the seventh day. Creation was completed. And so it, Jesus is walking amongst not only particular churches, but the whole church. And so this is the symbolism that's going on here. Now, kind of want to think a little bit theologically and pastorally uh, for a few moments. What we have in chapter one here is a portrayal of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a Christ who is both the revealer and the revealed. Jesus, as we will see as, the, um, as we read the letter, particularly when we get to chapters four and five in the throne room, there is one who opens the scroll 
There was no one found worthy to open the scroll, but then the lamb who was slain and who now lives is worthy to open the scroll. That is, Jesus opens our understanding of Scripture, that which seems so so muddled in the Old Testament. What's going on here? Oh, this foreshadowing fulfillment. So Jesus, he's the revealer of the plan and purposes of God, but he is also the revealed. He is God come in human flesh, the Word made flesh. So another way of saying this, Jesus is the messenger. He comes, as we read in the Gospels, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's a messenger announcing the kingdom, but he is the message. (laughs) Believe in me. (laughs) Let my words abide in you and you will bear much fruit. And so he's the revealer and the revealed, the messenger and the message. And so John captures this in the course of this letter. But in chapter one here, we have a kind of a theological reflection, something to lift up. Jesus is the prophet, the sword that comes out of his mouth. The prophet is the one who speaks that authoritative, declarative word and will of God. And so Jesus is the prophet. the, The word comes out of his mouth, the sword. He is the priest. We've got the the priestly robes, the robe and the sash. And so so we have Jesus as the priest, the mediator. So not just the one who communicates, but now the one who mediates. Another way we could say this, he, he offers the sacrifice and he is the sacrifice himself. But Jesus is the priest. The robe symbolizes the priest. And then he is the king. He holds the stars in his right hand. This picture not only of holding the churches, but of holding all creation. He is the sovereign ruler, the first and the last, right? And so this notion of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king is one that the uh, church theologians and Bible scholars have noted over the years. In the Old Covenant in Israel, those are separated offices. There were prophets, there were priests, there were kings. Three separate offices. They're never brought together in one person, except in Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the, the one who fulfills prophet and priest and king in himself, speaking the word of God, mediating um, uh, the relationship between God and man, reconciling God and man, offering prayers uh, uh, through Christ. And then he is the ruler. He is the sovereign Lord. And so John presents to us Jesus in this manner, which is wonderful. And now kind of a pastoral reflection. That's a little bit of a theological reflection. Now a bit of a pastoral reflection. We have... The the challenge of living as a Christian in our modern world, and, and my guess is this is true of any generation, but I only live when I live, right? And so the, the, the challenge we have as Christians living as we do now is to keep Christ at the center and to keep the majesty of Christ at the center of our lives, of the church, and of our understanding of the world. Again, I said elections tend to induce a spiritual amnesia. 
we become anxious. We think it's all up to us and we've got to get out the vote and we got to make things happen the way we want them to. As if we could thwart the sovereign eternal purposes of God or somehow God's not going to do it unless we, you know, get out there. So, so, and so there's a challenge of keeping Christ at the center. Um, Peterson writes a little bit about this uh, page. This looks like page 28 <clears throat> uh, of Reverse Thunder. Again, hopefully you've, you've, you've bought the book. The revelation gives us the last word on Christ. And the word is that Christ is center and at the center. We can understand nothing if we do not have a center. One of the gifts of the revelation is to present Christ in such a way that our imaginations are enlisted by the vision, okay, this vision of the Son of Man, entirely crystallizing the scriptures. That, that's a funny little way of saying it. One of the gifts of the revelation is to present Christ in such a way that our imaginations are enlisted by the vision entirely Christologizing the scriptures. That is, making Christ. Christology is the study of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is throughout the scriptures, not just in the Gospels. Jesus is presented to us throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is present. We have to understand, we have to capture this, right? That did not mean clumsily imposing Christ on the scriptures, but soberly discerning the lines that led to Christ. So prophet, priest, king, these are lines that lead to Christ. We see prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament we come to understand that Jesus is all three offices combined in himself. The task of keeping Christ as center is continuing, continuingly difficult. Other things elbow their way to the front. The golden rule, the doctrine of the atonement, the Ten Commandments, Paul's teaching on justification, diagrams of the Trinity, denunciations of the wicked, we could add today concern for social justice and, and the like, right? There is not much of chance, there's not much chance of losing Christ altogether. Too much has been said, too much has been preached, too much been written for anyone to forget that he is the one to be reckoned with. But it is very easy to remove him from the center and give him an honored place in a religious hall of fame along with Zoroaster, Buddha, Moses, and Muhammad. But the revelation gets the last word. And this last word is a skilled and convincing assertion that Christ is the center. He goes on from us. That's page 28 and 29, chapter 3. And so the challenge is that we have to keep Christ as the center of our lives. We want to live a Christ-centered life. Not peripheral, but central. I don't just think about Jesus once a week or once a month when I happen to go to church. I want to wake up every day and I want to reconsecrate my life to Jesus Christ. I want to say my prayers and I'm saying my prayers in the name of Jesus. 
and I want to get up this day and I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor because that's what Jesus told me to do. And, and I want to get up and I want to live a, a kind of life that is understood to be sacrificial. We talked about the cruciform life, that we serve, that we sacrifice, that we give, because that's what Jesus shows us, the way to live our lives. But we also have to keep Christ at the center of the church. And boy, is it tricky sometimes because church can become about all kinds of other things. Sunday, we had a meeting after church talking about the Christmas that's coming up. We're talking about the, the children's program and the choir program and uh, the, the flute choir uh, on a Sunday afternoon and the handbells are ringing and, 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 and Christmas Eve and, and, and. And it's all these logistics and all these plans and all of these programs and all these activities and all of the stuff we have to do to make sure that we do Christmas well. I sure hope that Christ is the center of every gathering at Greenwich and whatever church you may attend. I pray that Jesus Christ is the center and he is the star and he is the one who lifts up, uh, that, that is, is lifted up in all of our Christmas celebrations. But the tendency is to get distracted with the decorations and the bulletins that have misspellings in them and all of the songs and what order of the songs that the choir is going to sing and, and, and. And in the midst of all of our Christmas uh, goings on and activities, we miss Christ at the center. And so, so the challenge is to keep Christ at the center, but then keep the majesty of Jesus Christ at the center. So that's what I love about chapter one, this robe and sash and blazing eyes and sword coming out and face that, that shines and feet like bronze and... Um, this, this reality of Jesus. He's not little tiny baby Jesus in a manger anymore. He is not tiny baby Jesus, weak, vulnerable Jesus anymore. He is crucified and risen Jesus. He is prophet, priest, and king Jesus. He is triumphant over the grave, Jesus. He is sovereign, Jesus, holding all of creation in his hand, Jesus. And he is Jesus walking among the lampstands, Jesus. And so the other challenge is cultivating this awareness that Christ moves among the lampstands. The lampstand is the church. And so Jesus dwells at Greenwich. The spirit of Jesus Christ dwells at Greenwich. Christ walks amongst this lampstand, our lampstand. If we, if the, the challenge is cultivating an awareness of that. Again, just like planning for Christmas, Sunday mornings, you know, we've got routines, each of us. We come in, we, we park in a certain place, we get there about the same kind of time, we sit in roughly the same place, we greet people, we get our cup of coffee, um, we settle in, um, we're listening to the music, the prelude, uh, we sing our song, we have our call to worship, we sing our opening hymn, we have a prayer, we have our 
you know, five to 10 minute greeting, passing of the peace, a very peaceful, uh, robust, peaceful time we have. We can look through that beautiful window. There's the cross hanging there uh, above the Lord's table. We see the leaves on the tree. I was watching on Sundays. I was just seeing the, the beautiful color on the trees. And I can get caught up in the beautiful music, the harp that was playing at 11, the 11 o'clock service. Oh my goodness. And I can forget that Jesus is in the house too, right? That Jesus is in the house. And so, and I, I confess that I may sometimes through the way, kind of a bantering kind of informal way in which I lead worship can lead us away from an awareness that Christ is present. You know, we should probably come into the sanctuary and bow down. And when we, we stand to sing our hymns, we, we maybe shouldn't stand, we should bow down. And so the challenge is cultivating an awareness of the presence of Jesus Christ, not only in our Sunday worship, but in our Bible studies, in our fellowship gatherings, uh, in you know personal conversation you might have with somebody at church, that Christ is moving among the lampstand, that he's here to restore us, to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, to, to heal us, to encourage us, to, to knit our community back together, to repair broken relationships, to lift our, 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 our broken hearts out of their despair and their sadness and to give us comfort and hope and life. And so every time we walk into any church, certainly Greenwich, but any church, anytime we gather with any of God's people, Jesus Christ is among the lampstands. He is present. He is with us. And so, I, again, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to keep that awareness. And so why we need to read the Revelation regularly is to keep this image of Christ among the lampstands. Oh, he's here. Lord, show yourself today. Reveal yourself in word, in song, in prayer, in sacrament. Sunday, as we broke the bread and we talked about biting and devouring, we want to bite and devour each other. And Jesus says, no, bite and devour me. Take my body, take my blood, and be healed of your biting and devouring tendencies. And that's Jesus among the lampstands. He's present to us in that moment, inviting us to come be healed and be restored from our broken ways. So anyway, I could go on and on. I'm going to going to start preaching a sermon here. So let's close. Uh, we'll pick up tomorrow and start looking at those letters uh, to the churches in chapters two and three. Okay, let's pray. And so Lord, thank you. Even in this expression of the lampstand, what we call the basement academies, me speaking from my basement to a camera and a microphone and your people hearing or watching this from their cars or their homes or maybe out on a walk. Lord, be now among the lampstand where your people are gathered together. Be present to heal and comfort and restore and to chasten and to discipline and to strengthen and to sanctify. And so thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Father, for sending John, your, your apostle, to write down this vision that we may benefit. And so, Lord, bless us as we now lift our voices in prayer in the name of our majestic Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, the glory forever. Amen. Got caught up in the, the, the prayer there. And so may the risen Christ bless you. May he walk among the lampstand that is your home when you gather for prayer and wherever that is. May he bless you this day and forevermore. Amen.